listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hi, Lydia. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for having me on. I know we've been kind of talking about it for a while, so I'm really excited to finally make it happen. Yes. So, and I forgot to mention this to you before we started recording. When this episode comes out, it will be the very start of April. So if you're listening to this, it's April 1st has passed. We're into the new year in Japan, as they like to call it the shinendo or whatever is the kondendo or whatever they call it because in japan the academic year the business kind of year starts on the first of april so yes it's a time for new things starting new things and well before we get into that lydia please introduce yourself for the listeners tell them who you are how you got here right perfect so my name is lydia buchelman the pronunciation is difficult, so I usually just go with Lydia in Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am originally from Michigan in the United States. Uh, Michigan, if you're not super familiar with American geography, it's right by Canada, which is kind of why sometimes I sound a little bit Canadian with my accent if you're trying to pinpoint that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Michigan is like somewhere. It's cold. It's cold, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Up north near Canada. Okay. Awesome. So I majored in Japanese language and culture during university. And after I graduated, I actually did something a little bit different and decided to go to South Korea for a year to teach English, which was mm-hmm. a little bit difficult, of course, because I couldn't speak Korean, <laughs> but I definitely right, learned yes. a lot. And I miss Korea and definitely would like to go back soon. But after that, I came back to the States, was looking for work. And in my hometown, I couldn't find anything that was super relevant to Japan and my studies in university. But I connected with somebody at a local company that does manufacturing in Japan for the Mm. self-dimming mirrors. So like if somebody's headlights go in there, then they'll dim for you. So you aren't completely blinded while you're driving. I think Mm. they supply a lot to Toyota actually. Mm -hmm. So I connected with somebody at that company and he asked if I could do some basic training for individuals at that company who were going to Japan for business, lots of engineers mostly, but a few other people in the company as well. So I did that for a little while up until COVID (laughs) and then kind of Business travel went out the window for obvious reasons. And so now I have found myself back in Japan on the JET program in Nagasaki, which is where I've never been before. And this is my fifth time in Japan, I believe. Fifth time. Wow. Mm. My goodness. And Nagasaki is somewhere I have not managed to get to yet in Japan, but it's definitely on the top of my list. And one of our other guests on the show quite a few episodes ago, Christine Brown, she used to live uh, down there on one of the islands, just sort of that's part of Nagasaki. And it sounds amazing and beautiful. 
And unfortunately, you've only seen it in the coldest part of the year so far, right? So you haven't been able to enjoy the beautiful beaches or being outdoors and things just yet. And we're talking today. Tell us what you're wearing um, because people won't be able to see you. What have you got on today? Yes, right. So one of the most important parts of the JET program is inheriting teacher housing that your Board of Education has held for decades. So the houses are not insulated in any meaningful sense of the word. So they're quite cold. And I'm actually on one of those small islands, which means there's also quite a bit of wind. So that means to survive the winter, I had to go out and invest in what I call an obachan <laughs> uniform. <laughs> fluffy. Big, fluffy, fluffy pink. Very it's ugly, like a but very wearable cute. blanket yeah. style. It's quite a pretty purple color, though. Yeah. Are they, were they selling that on the island where you are? Yes. Or, so yeah. <laughs> we have a single eon, and I managed to find that there. So. So tell us about this island. What's there? Like, how far are you from Nagasaki City? And that, like, is it really rural? Like, what's around you there? Mm-hmm. So it is very far from Nagasaki. We're actually much closer to Fukuoka. Yeah. So the way that Nagasaki is structured is Nagasaki's kind of way off in the west, and then it includes a bunch of the islands that are a little bit dispersed up there. So we're quite close to uh, South Korea as well. Mm. But when I leave the island, when I'm allowed to leave the island because of COVID. Oh, my God. You're trapped on the island right now? Yes. We are currently (laughs) trapped on the island. (laughs) So when I leave the island, I would generally be going to Fukuoka, not Nagasaki. Okay. And is that by boat or Mm -hmm. plane? The airplane goes to Nagasaki. I think that's the only place it goes, but I'm not sure. And then the ferry would go to the neighboring island up north or down to Fukuoka. And there's one other city it goes to Mm -hmm. as well, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. And how long does it take on the ferry, for example, to get to Fukuoka if you want to go to town as as I can imagine it? Exactly. What sort of ferry ride are you looking at? So there are two options. There's something called the jet foil, which is the faster boat. And then there's just the traditional ferry. The jet foil would take about an hour. And then the traditional ferry takes about two, but I actually prefer the ferry on one hand because it's half the price. Mm. And on the other, it's actually really relaxing. They have areas where you can kind of lie down and take a nap if you'd like. Mm. (laughs) So I choose the ferry if it's an option. Okay. Interesting. Wow. This is all fascinating to me. A different way of life in Japan that I don't experience living here in Fukushima where I live, but it sounds like even though you're on this island, it doesn't sound like you're too in the middle of nowhere to me, like an hour to two hours to get to a major city like Fukuoka is not bad because yeah, for me to get to Tokyo, which is the sort of biggest city around here is a good two more than two hours on a fast train to get there. And to get to an airport is near an hour and a half driving to get to an airport from my house, but you have one in your, on your island too, that you could use if you had to. Yeah. That's great. It's kind of, it's not so bad, but you get to be on an island. <laughs> and does Amazon, Amazon deliver? <laughs> it does. I haven't used it yet. Right. No, Kuroneko the... is available on, on the, on the island. Right. And we do have additional shipping charges because we are a remote island, even though all of Japan oh. is an island, they're like, oh, but you're too much of an island. So we have to mm. give you some extra charges to send them either. I see. Mm. So I usually try to get what I can on the actual island or in Fukuoka. 
But what's especially nice about my island is, so Fukuoka is right there, but then the international airport at, in Fukuoka is basically in downtown Fukuoka. Mm. So the bigger part of the trip is just getting into Fukuoka. From there, you can pretty much get anywhere. That's amazing. So jealous right now. <laughs> it's just like a five-hour journey for me to get to Narita from where mm. I live. So I'm thinking, oh, wow. Like, not that we can travel anywhere, right. but, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years and we'll travel, be back again, and you'll be able to, yeah, from Fukuoka and get to all sorts of places, I'm sure. And that's really exciting. Well, thank you for sharing that little slice of life of where you are in Japan. It's not something that everybody experiences, that's for sure. So it's really great to hear. So yes, tell us a little bit about your podcast that you have and how that connects to Japan. Right. So my podcast is called Business Success Japan because I am just incredible when it comes to uh, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quite a lofty title. Yes. Yeah. I really could not think of a title for the podcast, but I'll get into that in a moment. I'll first explain mm -hmm. how it happened. So yeah. when I was teaching basic business Japanese and culture at the company, I was trying to think of other things that I could do to provide more value to my students. And so I had a curriculum that I wrote myself with a bunch of information. And it seemed like my students were having a little bit of a hard time feeling stressed out when they went to Japan, feeling like they didn't have everything mastered or just forgot things by the time they got there. And I have been super into podcasts for months, well, years at this point. So I just was thinking maybe it would be helpful to have it in an audio format for my students. So it wasn't actually supposed to be an interview podcast. It was just an audio version of my curriculum that my students could listen to on the flight over to Japan. And wow. then I ran out of material because <laughs> I hadn't been mm -hmm. teaching for very long. I didn't have a very long curriculum available. So then somebody I connected with, Kasha Lynch, actually became my first guest on the podcast. She was gracious enough to be my guinea pig. And so I interviewed her about her experiences in Japan, things that she learned about business in Japan and working with Japanese people. And from there, I was just kind of able to connect with more people in the Japan international community and get them on my podcast as well. And I'm obviously not an expert in doing business in Japan, but I figured that I could kind of be a person who's curating relevant and interesting information to other people who want to do business in Japan. Yeah, I love that, that you didn't let not being an expert stop you from doing what you can do or, you know, what only Lydia can do. And, you know, you do have knowledge and yeah, and a growing network to be able to connect your students or listeners to people who are experts in certain areas or who do have experience in different areas in Japan. So well done you for not, not letting that stop you start this thing called the Business Success Japan podcast. <laughs> yeah. So my podcast, I spent about 20 seconds thinking of the name for my podcast as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily suit the podcast anymore, but I don't care. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're still podcasting. People are listening. People are enjoying and people are getting something from it. So, yeah, maybe I should change it one day, but I'm not sure there's any point. 
So yeah, it's it's not something to let yourself get hung up on, but people do, right? I can't think of a name for my podcast, so I'm not going to do it. Or I'm not an expert. I'm not the number one world expert in this topic, so I can't uh, start a podcast in this area. That's not true. And yeah, look at, and I'm sure you learn a lot from your guests as well who come on the show. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm definitely very grateful that I get to get to have these conversations with people because I obviously benefit a lot from these conversations as well. So it's just been an amazing project for me. Yeah, overall. I love that. And that's one thing I like about podcasting as well is getting to meet people. Yeah, because we probably wouldn't be talking otherwise. And then I wouldn't get to know you or hear about what it is that you do down there and how life is in Nagasaki and all of that. So it's super, super interesting. And I wanted to touch on that a little bit because I'm really trying to encourage more women, especially to start a podcast and to not get hung up on, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Uh, what's it called? <laughs> what's my background music? It doesn't matter. You don't need background music. You can just call it the the Lydia show and get started, you know, like <laughs> and, and see what happens next, because that's where you're going to get the clarity to move forward with your project. And perhaps, you know, you see things happening for your podcast that you didn't see when you started, right. And new things coming down, uh, coming down the line from the action that you're taking, which is really, really great. So I want to ask you right. for some tips that you've heard or that you know, you know, maybe you you know some great stuff, or you've learned something from one of your guests that you have put into practice on this trip into Japan. As, or is there anything like that that you've noticed, or, or that you no, not noticed? Like right. something you've learned from a guest that mm -hmm. that was changed your way of being in Japan, for example. Well, the hard part is that I've just learned so much Yeah, right. <laughs> from the like, whole project. Just choose one. <laughs> just choose one. Only one thing. But yeah. I guess something I personally learned with doing the podcast is just that some things about my disposition and my personality that, at least in an American context, might be seen as a deficiency or a weakness can actually be a strength in Japan. Because I am so tell us more. Yeah, I am definitely a little bit more introverted. I know people don't like labels, but every single personality test I've ever taken, I've been 100% introverted. <laughs> so I'm not somebody who likes to put themselves out there. I don't like to sell myself to people. I don't like to talk about myself too much. There's a reason I haven't been on other people's podcasts It's because I don't <laughs> like talking about myself. I'd rather ask other people. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand of that, that means I spend a lot more time thinking about what other people are saying rather than just trying to prep what I'm going to say back and asking questions of other people, which in Japan, it's generally a little bit better to lean on the listening side than on the speaking side. And it's more valuable to be comfortable with silence, especially when communicating with people in Japan, because Americans are a little bit, not a little bit, they're extremely allergic to silence in conversation, but Japanese individuals are a little bit more accustomed to having it. They need that little bit of space before they come in with their response. So if you're an American and you're just going boom, 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 one person, then the other person, then the other person, you'll completely miss <laughs> what your Japanese counterpart might have to say if they fall a little bit more in line with 
uh, what's expected in Japanese culture in terms of their personality. So being able to see something that I thought was a negative about myself and my personality as something that might give me a little bit of a competitive advantage <laughs> as a foreigner in Japan. Definitely. That's really great that you noticed that about yourself. And yeah, like in your home country, maybe where being an extrovert is considered the norm and anybody's not an extrovert, there's something wrong with you, which is not true, right? You just prefer to spend more quiet time or you need to recharge after you've been with lots of people. I'm also a raging introvert, which I didn't know for a long time either. And always wondered why I felt wrong or what's wrong with me? Why can't I spend all day with people and then not feel completely wiped out? But that's just, that's just how I am. <laughs> so building in that quiet time is really important. And, and that is um, a great way to be in Japan as well. And it, having that skill of listening and not always being the talker, being the listener, but also reading into reading the air kind of kooky or yomu, as they say in Japan, being able to sort of sit back and read the air of the situation is a real struggle for foreigners to do, right? It's not something that we generally are taught in our own countries and coming to Japan and having to do that for the first time can be really, really difficult. But when we do, yeah, we can get a lot more insight into what is appropriate in the situation. We're not appropriate, even though we still get it wrong, obviously, loads of times. But you'll notice that Japanese people not like you, but find it easy to get along with you if you're able to read the air a little bit more than your average foreigner, I think. Have you had a chance to put this into practice in the in your position as um so you are you a ALT in the class with students where you are? Right. Or are you yes. yeah? Have you had a chance to put this into practice at school with teachers and learning how to be in the education? system, which is a little bit different from being in business, I feel. Right, exactly. So as an ALT, again, you are in a school and you've had a lot of teachers that have been there before you. So a lot of times people already kind of have their ways of interacting with the resident ALT in the school. So I am not sure if I have really been able to communicate with people in my school as myself versus <laughs> be just filling the mold of the ALT. It's only been a few months so far, so I feel like people are still getting used to me. But yeah. in my current position, I haven't had much of an opportunity to really get to know my um, co-teachers. Well, I've gotten to know my co-teachers, but not like my school as a whole in part because of COVID restrictions, we haven't been able to do much outside of work. And then in the Japanese school system, teachers are extremely busy all the time. So it's just a little bit hard to catch people and have conversations with yeah. them and get to know them a little bit better. But hopefully in the coming months, once things slow down a little bit and go back to normal, that'll be a little bit more feasible. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens from the 1st of April when you get all the new teachers arriving and and from the 31st of March when they say goodbye to the people who are moving on to the next position uh, what they do like I imagine things are all cancelled like the, the the welcome party the kangekai or the 
the goodbye party, there's all bits Kai. Like it's just usually there's so many chances to all hang out and and chat and it's and get to know people. Whereas when you're in the school, it's like, okay, I'm surrounded by robots and nobody's like having any like they're just all working really hard and they're all head down and nobody's sort of looking around and saying, Oh, so how was your weekend at all? Uh, and you sort of wonder, oh my God, <laughs> am I gonna survive here? Um, it's those those sort of off kais, as they call them, the the outside of work meetings that when you get to see, oh, so-and-so has kids. I didn't know. Or they're married. What? You know, or you hear anything about them that's not related to to work or get to know them as people. So it's yes, it can be, I can imagine, very tricky to get to know people and feel like you're part of the team. But I think the benefit for you is from the first of April, you're not going to be the newbie anymore right? There's going to be some newbies come along who are the people who have just arrived in the school and you'll have three or four months on them with already being in place. So that'll be nice. You won't be bottom of the food chain anymore from the first of April. (laughs) Right. Because the issue was because of the COVID situation, I arrived in Japan later than I otherwise would have. So one of the other ALTs on the island had been filling that role already. So mm. I was just kind of put into it rather than actually having it be my role. So hopefully I'll get a little bit of a restart with the new year in school. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's not nice to show up like in Japan. It's great how they have so many things where like, okay, everybody's starting. Everybody's new. Let's make sure you all know what you're doing. It's the first of April. They really look after you in those new things, as long as you're doing it at the right time. And when you're not, kind of too bad yeah like showing up halfway through the year or all that sort of thing yeah it's a bit rough I'm sure yeah I have lots of good good and bad memories of my time as an ALT or kind of an ALT I was actually a Corshi not an ALT not on the JET program uh, working in a junior high school and all of like it took a year in my case it took me a year to be like okay now I know like the first whole year basically now I know what goes on now I know what happens but the first year was basically just as like every day was like, oh my God, what's going to happen today? What are we doing now? <laughs> what? Okay, it's this seasonal event. What happens then? Oh my God, for a whole year. And then by the time we got through to the next year, then I wasn't, like I just mentioned, at the bottom of the food chain. I was one rank up. <laughs> and that was a huge difference. Like people from the bottom were looking up to me. Oh, Jane Sensei, you've been here a whole year longer than me. You must know. It was a completely different situation to being brand newbie on the block, uh, do this, do that uh, kind of thing. So, yeah, very interesting experience to experience that. Uh, that's the education system, though, right? So we're talking about uh, working in public schools where it can be quite different in business situation as well. So, yeah. Right. And that's the whole reason they rotate teachers is because the hierarchy can get so strong. Well, mm. one of the reasons they rotate teachers it's because if somebody's been there for long, long enough, then it kind of becomes their school. And they kind of want to make sure that people are on roughly a level playing field when, so they have them rotate around. That's right. Yeah. And it's never that. long until it's your next rotation. So you better remember what it's like to be the newbie and <laughs> you're going to be the newbie again soon. Yeah. Yeah. always remember that uh, around like, was it sort of December, January, the rumors in the school about who's leaving and who's 
who's staying and who's going to be what next year. It was all the teachers were talking about. And I thought it was so funny um, that they couldn't just talk about it out loud, but all had to be <laughs> secret. And these kind of, I don't know if you've noticed that these conversations happening about, oh, so-and-so is moving to X school. Oh my God, that poor person. Or, um, oh, have you heard that such and such is going to be in charge of the takubu next year, the, the table tennis. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> this kind of. <laughs> this yeah. kind of school gossip. <laughs> so I arrived about when that was happening. So I didn't have any idea what was going on on any level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I must have missed that. Next, next yeah. year you'll be into it. You'll be like, oh my goodness. Oh, it's, a- <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, it's a- yeah. Oh, I wonder who's coming. All of this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I'm just like having a really great time reliving my days as a junior <laughs> high school teacher now that I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, it's always stressful. Are you in the junior high or you're in the junior high? Right now I am just at junior high because they were short on ALTs. They had people filling in. So they just did junior high school. But before mm-hmm. it was three days at junior high school, one day at a elementary school, mm-hmm. you rotate. And then potentially a half day on Friday at a kindergarten. Oh, wow. So I think that's what they're going to do mm. again this next school year. Yeah, I really enjoyed teaching at elementary. So fun. Mm-hmm. Like junior high, I'm sure it's better now because the kids are more like have experienced more English when they get to junior high these days than they ever did like 10, more than 10 years ago when I was working in junior high school. But the elementary school, the kids just have so much energy and really, really fun. I'm sure if you have seen, as long as you don't hit the fifth or sixth graders, who are like too cool for school um, kind of thing. But the little, littler kids are so, so sweet and so fun to, to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly was at an elementary school in South Korea. That was a lot of fun. Mm. And because of how their education system works, they do a lot of hagwon, which are jukus outside of school, mm. like a mm. lot more than even Japan. So my students were actually better than my current uh, middle school students at English. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Interesting for that little side note. What are some of the differences you've noticed between your life in South Korea and here in Japan? Just, just aside, I mean, for people on the outside looking in, they look very similar. But now that we're here in Japan, you know that they're not, right? What are some of the major differences you've noticed? Right. So it's a little bit hard to compare just because a lot of the logistics are different. My city in South Korea, I think was a hundred thousand people, whereas my current place is less than 30,000. So the dynamic is just quite a bit different there, but then things like banking and anything to do with technology was much more convenient in South Korea than it is in Japan. (laughs) So as convenient as Japan is, when it comes to anything related to technology, websites, doing things online, Korea is definitely the winner. On that. Mm. And so like red tapey kind of like getting yourself registered mm-hmm. and then getting a new cell phone, those sorts of things are all a lot easier in South Korea. Yeah. Logistically, things tend to be a little bit easier. There's obviously a structure to how things are done, but they are a little bit less focused on doing everything exactly to the T than they are about getting it done. <laughs> mm, so there's a little bit less focus on process over results. Whereas in Japan, it sometimes feels like the other way around. Sure. Yeah. Like must take all the boxes and follow the exact thing can get people sort of 
not focusing on the fact whether they've finished it or not or whatever. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah. I've only visited South Korea once for a couple of days and I was so happy to get back to Japan because my stomach just could not handle the Korean food, <laughs> like the, the real Korean food, like Korean food we have in Japan is not real Korean food, like the, the kimchi and all of that. So Yes, I was very happy to come back to Japan. <laughs> oh, we'll just have an onigiri that's not spicy or full of, you know, the full of garlic or something that's going to upset my tummy again. Yes, for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love Korean is, yeah. food, actually. <laughs> so I miss it a lot. I'm very excited to be able to go back yeah. once the Well, you're not far away, again. right? Like you just, you could take a ferry across there, perhaps. It's not that far. Yeah, though... Strangely enough, it would be more convenient to take the ferry to Fukuoka and fly there just because you have mm. to transfer ferries. Mm, it's mm-hmm. everything's mm. complicated, but yes, it's very easy wow. to get to South Korea from yeah, here. It's hard to sort of imagine that where I am in my, my geography up here in Tohoku is quite different from the geography of where you are down there. It's hard to imagine just how close you are to them uh, over in South Korea there. Okay. Yeah. I want to ask you about your very in Japan moment. Do you have one? Yep. <laughs> I did think of a few, and they're actually from my first visit to Japan when I was studying abroad during the summer in rural Japan, Shiga Prefecture, Hikone, not Hakone, which people might be more Hikone. familiar with. Um, oh, Hikone, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. It's right by okay. Biwako, yeah. Lake Biwa. So summer is not the best time to be there just because it's so hot mm. and so humid right by the lake. But I did have a few moments that would not really have happened in the States. And one of them was going to a restaurant. You know, you're not supposed to tip in restaurants, but I accidentally dropped a five yen piece in my booth. And when I left, one of the waitresses ran out after me to give me back my five yen piece that I dropped. I didn't leave it as a tip. I Mm -hmm. dropped it by accident. But she had to chase me down to give it back. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and then in a similar vein, I was traveling with my friend, probably in Tokyo, and I lost my umbrella and I was just figuring, oh, I guess it's gone forever because that's usually how it works. If you're in public and you lose something, what are the odds mm. that you'll get it back? But then somebody who worked at the train station, I don't know if it was security person or a ticket person I'm not quite sure but they all of a sudden turned the corner and ran at me with my umbrella and <laughs> gave oh it God. back to me so things will find their way back to you in Japan yeah. if you lose them the odds yeah. are every day we walk around our neighborhood here and often see things hanging on trees where somebody's found somebody's like glove usually a glove or a child's sock or something that maybe the kids pulled off their foot as they're pushed here down the road and chucked on the ground and someone's picked it up and taken the time to find a clean little plastic bag and hang it on the tree so it won't get wet while the sock is waiting to be reunited with its owner and there's a scarf hanging on a tree nearby it was all nicely packaged up waiting for the probably junior high school student who dropped it on the way to school um, it's been there for a few days now, so I'm wondering if it's going to be claimed. I always like to check in on the lost property items around our neighborhood, but yes, yeah, lots of stuff like that. There's a kid's toy on a fence somewhere as well that someone's carefully placed in a, where someone will see it when they go by and, oh, that's that toy that we lost the other day and find it. It's a really lovely thing about Japan, isn't it, that 
things generally will find their way back to you somehow. Um, yeah, I've <laughs> lost a lot of things in my time here, especially due to my children, basically, um, as kids taking their shoe off and chucking it away and me not noticing um, and having going back the next day and finding it just placed nicely somewhere so that I would see it when I went by. And yeah, socks, shoes, gloves, hats, all the things. Yeah, didn't, umbrellas. People chase you with an umbrella. <laughs> That's really, really nice. I love it. We were talking, we kids were actually talking about that the other day because we left something on a bus in Sweden when we were there and it was one of my sons, one of those slap bands, you know, you slap it on your wrist and it's uh, um, in Sweden, a lot of people use them because they have those reflect reflectors because it's always dark, right? So a lot of people have all these reflectors all over them and we left it on the bus. He was so upset. And so I contacted the bus company thinking, you know, Maybe we'll get it back, but of course we did not get a reflective band back. They must have thought I was mad asking them, you know, for it. But this is my Japan training thinking, well, of course there's a there's a cupboard somewhere at the bus department where they're carefully managing all the things that get left on the bus. Doubtful. I'm sure the next person who sat on the seat probably took it with them. Very useful and handy item. Yeah, I just love, yeah, I love that about Japan. I heard a really great story. I have to tell you this one. Uh, this is from like my first month in Japan, me and a guy, American guy, were doing our training at our, um, for our, our English teacher jobs. And he went to the train station and for some reason had his passport with him, put it on the ticket machine to buy his ticket for the train and then left it there, his American passport and walked off and went and did some stuff and, you know, maybe 20 minutes later realized didn't have his passport with him, went back to the machine and it was still sitting there on top of the machine where he left it. That's just unbelievable. Right? <laughs> I mean, it could have been gone and was probably be at the local Corban if it wasn't you know, the police box, if it wasn't still there. But everybody had, who had noticed it had just left it as it was. Yeah. Can you imagine that happening in any other country in the world? I think not. Yeah. Probably not, which makes me a little bit worried about traveling or living in other countries just because I feel like I would lose everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're someone who loses stuff, yeah, you, you'll be okay here. Generally get it back. I've seen like, um, what's that? Like a cell phone, like someone obviously left their cell phone on this bench and it, people were like um, sort of looking at it and avoiding it, but you know, like they weren't like, they wanted to sit on the bench, but they didn't want to sit next to the cell phone. And I was like, wow, this is really, it's not really great just to leave the cell phone there. Like it should be picked up and taken to somewhere safer than leaving it on the bench, but nobody wanted to touch it. It was in a department store. I was like, surely you would take it to the lost, you know, the lost property section at the information office or something. But yeah, everybody was just sort of looking at it, but avoiding it. It was, yeah, really weird, but yes, good old Japan. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic here with those sorts of things love it so yeah Lydia if people want to listen to the business success Japan podcast where can they find you yeah so they should be able to find it on pretty much any platform especially Apple podcasts and Spotify is where I get most of my listeners also Google podcasts but it should be available on most platforms if mm -hmm. you look for it I don't really have a website but you can also go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn if you would like uh, it would be helpful if you'd mentioned that you heard the podcast or you heard my interview just so, 
So I have a little less work trying to sort through bots because that's an issue mm. on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Get the bots are, yeah, <laughs> the bots are there. <laughs> Lots of spam accounts, unfortunately. But yes. Okay. Mm. Yeah, very good. And so who would you recommend listens to your show? Who's it? Like, who's it good for? Right. So I have quite a diverse set of guests, which I'm very grateful for. So my podcast is kind of geared towards people who are maybe thinking about working in Japan or suddenly find themselves working with Japanese people and just really mm-hmm. aren't sure how to go about maneuvering that space just because it can be quite intimidating. So by having kind of this diverse set of people on my podcast, I hope that people can find individuals that they resonate with or career paths that appeal to them and can kind of just figure out how they can fit into this space between Japan and the world in their own way. Because if it was just focused on people's stories, that's that's interesting, of course, but it's not necessarily useful if you're only focused on information that's of course useful, but people can kind of take on the way of thinking that, oh, I can master Japan somehow, just go in and become Japanese and I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> or <laughs> she'll be right, as we say in New Zealand. Yes. Instead yeah. of yeah. actually trying to kind of change how they think and how they interact with Japan and Japanese people, which I think is a more useful and sustainable way of approaching Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared to uh, know, uh, find out that you know a lot less than you thought you did. Exactly. And, 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 <laughs> and continue to realize that the more you know, the less you actually know. Yeah. Right. It's, and it's, sorry, just like right, anywhere right. else, Japan is a country made up of individual people. So there's diversity. So learning all these rules about what Japan is or Japan is not, is not necessarily going to be useful for you. It's more important to kind mm-hmm. of change how you approach the country and its people instead of Mm, 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 trying mm. to figure out what the right thing to do is in any given situation. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, isn't it? It's not always going to be in this situation, you do X, even though that there might be a a good um, thing to do in that situation. That's not necessarily always going to be that people are going to surprise you, right? Not every Japanese person is the, you know, (laughs) stereotypical Japanese person, right? So yes. Very, very interesting place. That's for sure. Never a dull day, I say, in Japan. <laughs> Definitely. Always more to learn. There is always more to learn. So if you love that, then yeah, Japan's a place for you. And some of my listeners are people outside Japan who are just interested in what's it life like in Japan. And so it might be a really great uh, jumping off point to go and hop over to your podcast and listen to other people's experiences and also, yeah, the, the tips and sort of insider information that you have for them there. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Lydia, and telling us about your slice of life down there in Nagasaki. And I really hope to get to Nagasaki this year or next year. Looks going to stop talking about it and actually do it. <laughs> and if you're down there, maybe we can catch up in Fukuoka or we'll come out to your little island. If I can, if it's not too rough, I get extremely seasick. Um, <laughs> I have to take some of those those pills if I get on the ferry. Um, yeah, I come and see you down where you are. It looks absolutely amazing down there. So thank yeah. you. I'm excited to explore and I hope that I'll have more information to share with you about Nagasaki once I'm allowed to travel a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I hope you can have travel a bit more freely soon. It must, it must feel a little bit sort of 
not well, constricted or something to not be able to just like hop off the island if you want to, right? Right. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. And get yeah. to explore Japan yeah, again. Exactly. It'll be great. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.